Thank you for tuning into this episode of Question This Life. You can listen to the podcast at questionthislife.com as well as all of the main podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, subscribe and get involved. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Thank you for tuning in, as always. I'm really, really appreciative of it. And one thing that's really cool is with these distribution platforms, the one that I'm using to get this podcast out there, I can see the international reach of the podcast. So it gives you a little breakdown of where people are listening from. And I must say, you know, it's a humble number. It's a a new podcast, you know, and, and, and there's from some organic marketing happening, but really there's, this isn't really being pushed in any strong way at the moment. And there's already a nice little listenership and the far reach of it is just quite amazing. You know, it's really doesn't cease to amaze me how far a piece of content that you create these days can go. There's listeners in the Caribbean, there's listeners in Africa, there's listeners in Southeast Asia, there's listeners in multiple states in America, a couple of in Australia, of course there's some in the UK, we've got some in mainland Europe, in Germany, in Italy, and it blows me away, I'm so grateful, I really really hope that whoever's listening to this, wherever you're from, wherever you are, that you are enjoying the show, that you're enjoying the um, the vibe and that you feel that this is a place that you can hear someone being themselves and talking from the heart and also introducing you to some cool characters from my life. And some of these topics that I find so interesting, so fascinating, a lot of which are not discussed at length seriously by the main sources of information that people get their information from. So I always want to have this show as a nice, friendly chilled vibe, a good place where people can go and access an inquisitive, normal person who's just looking at some of these topics that perhaps are considered a little bit alternative, but very often are something that ring true with many people, and the paradigms are shifting on a lot of these things. So I really, really am grateful that you're a part of this and that you're enjoying the show and that you're listening, so thank you so much. In the last episode, I spoke a little bit about uh, lucid dreaming again. It was the second time I covered that. I went into more detail about some of my personal experiences with it, some of the cool things that have happened in my uh, lucid dreaming journey so far. And I also got into discussing breathing techniques. Um, I ran into someone who's now a housemate of someone who I knew, and he's a holotropic breathing instructor. So speaking to him at length and really kind of understanding what he does, what his job is and how that all works was really, really fascinating. And it reignited my already existing passion for breathing exercises, especially through the Wim Hof method. It's something that I do uh, regularly in my life and something that occasionally can um, become a little bit less regular. So that's... uh, it was almost like a little breadcrumb from the universe. Keep that 
active and if you're into that kind of stuff then I'll be talking about the Wim Hof method and breathing exercises and how they've benefited me and just giving the first sort of insight into that and how that's affected my life in the coming second part of the show. This program is always split into sections and you'll always see the timestamp of the sections in the show description so if you're interested in hearing more about that and you're not so interested in the um, section that's just about to come which is the week gone by then I suggest that you skip to the next part it's already in the show notes where you need to skip to and if you're interested in both then just keep listening so I also spoke a little bit last week about uh, starting a new sports-based show with a friend of mine from the comedy scene and this is kind of building on a lifetime of watching sports and uh, sports entertainment and so on and essentially trying to cultivate the good conversations that we're having offline organically to create a show um, and this is a, a show that's the kind that is very very accessible through the channels like YouTube and these kind of big players um, I'm, I'm hesitant to make videos about this show public on YouTube because of all of the situations that I've heard from creators of similar content and the problems that they're having with this kind of um, content. To put it shortly, I think everyone can kind of understand what I'm saying. This is a, a, a well-known thing that it's difficult to grow things there that are not um, conducive to standard discourse let's say so I, I definitely like I like to say like I red pill and I blue pill <laughs> you can't just be full red pill you've got to be a little bit blue pill as well so there are definitely a lot of things that I like about um, you know the world we live in and the the games and the fun and the shows and so on that we're presented with in this life so it's been really good um, this is kind of like moved on from that um, in the last week I've had some really great sessions where I've filmed some content with this friend of mine and we've, we've watched a lot of uh, pro wrestling shows and discussed at length the nerdy level of knowledge and experience I have with pro wrestling and this is you know show wrestling for those of you who, who don't know what that is you know the likes of WWE, WWF, WCW all of that stuff now, I wanted to talk a little bit about this because I find this quite interesting. This is a, a, a debate I've had with some people in my life. I, it's something that's also spoken about a lot online and so on. And it's this stereotype that pro wrestling in itself is, uh, first of all, completely fake and shouldn't be watched by adults, essentially, is what the, the stereotype is. A lot of people feel that way. And a lot of people don't. Now, my take on this whole aspect is it's theatre, right? It's a show. It's, a, it's a, a, an entertainment event that incorporates all elements of entertainment, essentially. It incorporates sport. It incorporates physicality, gymnastics. It incorporates theatre, acting, drama, improv comedy, stand-up, audience feedback and participation, as well as storylines, archetypal characters. And there's parts of that that 
are in other forms of entertainment that people watch en masse and a lot of people agree that people I mean I want to say like have the right to maybe that's a bit too intense but that it's it's understandable why people are into other forms of entertainment that have aspects from all of that list so long what I'm trying to say there is you can easily make a case that a huge huge number of people would agree with this statement the avengers is awesome i love watching the avengers adults children you know people of all walks of life backgrounds corners of the world everyone loves the avengers or everyone loves superhero movies they're the only thing that really sells in hollywood it seems every single movie is some sort of a archetypal super superhero movie and uh, that's something that is completely accepted by i would say like the mainstream entertainment consumer then in addition to that most people have a sport or some form of competitive entertainment that they watch like football rugby cricket tennis hockey the list goes on athletics there's so much going on in terms of sport around the world it's such a watched thing it's so normal to absorb that content then also a lot of people go to the theater they'll watch actors acting they'll watch a person who's clearly a trained actor standing on a stage that looks like a set it's made to look like a room or an office or a alleyway I I myself did a lot of acting when I was young. I spent a lot of time um in the th- theater world in my school years until I was about 18, 19. And so many times I was on stage in front of a lot of people and pretending to be someone else or you know really trying to live the role of being someone else for this short performance. And I went to a lot of plays. We we would went to the Edinburgh Fringe every year and the whole idea of that is that it's this level of expectation of entertainment that you receive and you watch good plays and bad plays i went to some really bad plays bad acting bad story and what does that even mean it means that the vast majority of the people who were there or at least me or at least my group i'm not even sure how to explain it agreed and sort of came to the agreement that this was not a good form of entertainment that they just hadn't got it right then people will go to the circus there'll be this uh, cirque du soleil and these incredible feats of gymnastics and animals and all this crazy stuff that you see in the um you know in the kind of broadway and all this uh how could you say over the top kind of uh pizzazz entertainment then there's also stand up comedy there's also improv and then add to that there's combat sports this is another thing i'm a huge fan of personally but there's jiu jitsu there's nogi grappling there's wrestling college wrestling there's boxing mma muay thai kickboxing there's now bare knuckle boxing there's now there's also no rules mma there's you know the likes of pride and dream these um organizations that don't exist anymore where 
there was very few rules and kind of anything goes, steroids allowed, you can look however you look, you can be as big as you want to be, you can kick people in the head when they're down. I mean, we've had it all. There's every single form of entertainment and sporting endeavor and competition that is accepted by the vast majority of people as a understandable thing to be followed by people of all ages. Now, for some reason, pro wrestling gets a bad rep in many places. I think that it's a silent minority who diss pro wrestling, in my opinion, because when you look at the actual numbers and the fact that the flagship shows of the WWE run neck and neck and sometimes way surpass the mainstream sporting things that are going on, like unscripted sporting events, often cannot reach the ratings and the hype that pro wrestling shows can reach. So even the fact that it's a stereotype, that it's not something that you should watch if you're an adult, is maybe also in itself something that's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's just something that will always be there, even if it's not the majority of people who think that. But when you're in a, a sort of social situation and you, you it gets brought up or people bring it up, it's usually brought up with a sense of, you know, oh yeah, like that weird thing, that fake thing, that scripted thing. Or, you know, you, you might ask someone like, are you into it? And then they'll say, yeah, I, I was when I was like eight, you know, I loved The Rock or you know, the Ultimate Warrior, whoever the star was at the time, Hulk Hogan, these people who um, transcended the sport, you know, everyone knows The Rock, everyone knows um, Batista and these these characters who have transcended the sport, like I said. Um, but what people neglect is, in my opinion, is the fact that pro wrestling, when it's at its highest level, is a combination of all of those aspects, every single one of them. You've got people who go to watch the show who are children who are actually in and believe the story and think the bad guy is a bad guy and the good guy is a good guy and then it goes all the way up to fans who've been watching it for a long time who understand of course that it's not real in the sense that the the combat is not a real what you would call a shoot fight where the outcome is undetermined 99.9 percent of the time but that you're watching a performance. It's an athletic performance. It's a comedic performance. It's an entertainment piece. It's a gymnastic piece. It's an athletic piece. It's all of those things rolled into one. And then in addition to that, now that the WWE especially has led this charge of called what's called lifting the curtain, there are aspects of pro wrestling that now are unprecedentedly accessed by fans because it's now no longer a requirement of wrestlers and the wrestling industries to keep secret the fact that the fights are not real and the outcomes are predetermined. So what that's created is an environment where you can really understand the ins and outs of the business, as it's called, through the interviews and um, com- and through the interviews with the active and retired wrestlers and people who were involved with wrestling from all generations. So that's really shown us how they go about building this craft, how they go about performing, how they build their characters, how difficult a grind it is physically, mentally, the fact that they've got 300 tour dates in a year. It's something that I would say is probably the hardest 
most challenging entertainment pursuit you could ever do because it's maybe arguably harder to be a comedian and to make it as a comedian is it i don't know but it's def you you're not going to get hurt physically being a comedian but in order to become a comedy act in the wrestling world not only do you have to be funny and improvise and be on and be clever and be witty and be seasoned and be strong you have to also be able to take bumps and just get get your ass kicked you know it, it, again the outcome might be determined but you can't fake the pain of going through three tables from a 50 foot ladder it's just impossible that that doesn't hurt we know now because of these interviews and so on people opening up and and talking about the business that they really do hurt themselves when they kick each other in the head sometimes they're doing strong style which means they actually kick each other in the head they do that because it looks the most real yes we're having a battle me and this guy and he'll kick me in the head and i might bleed and that is because he's kicked me in the head and i've started bleeding and so that looks awesome on camera and it looks awesome for the fans in the stadium in the arena so that's why they do it because that's the best way to to portray that this is a battle happening between two characters now i find that quite a uh, interesting debate because the same person who says oh wrestling's for kids it's all fake i'm not i'm so not into it is the same person who'll be who'll be in the queue to watch the next avengers and they're wearing a t-shirt that says thor or they they absolutely love hulk or they've got all the spider-man comics or they adore going to the play and and seeing things like you know the merchant of venice or i don't know any kind of story you could imagine being portrayed on a play and how can so for example the avengers analogy for me is a, is a good one it's a strong one because you're watching something play out that you know roughly what's going to happen you know roughly that the good guys are going to have a long and arduous battle with the bad guys there's going to be a lot of back and forth some of them are going to die probably in tragic deaths and then towards the end it's going to flip at some point the bad guys are going to look like they're going to win then the good guys are going to come together and they're going to supersede the bad guys and what they're doing and then by the end of it you usually have the moment where the good guys have defeated the bad guys and that's the end of the film essentially that's pretty much every superhero film boiled down to a very 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 basic outline of course there are some variations there are some films that are genuine tragedies where the bad guy wins but most people who like those sort of films it seems that they go there because they know what to expect so for me i find that question quite interesting like what's the difference between that and then going to see that play out that drama those archetypal stories those character developments those hope versus passion versus pain storylines and then the triumph of the hero or the triumph of the villain and the entailing aftermath but you're actually just watching real humans do it in front of you dressed like the characters that they're portraying like they would be in the thor films and the avengers films in the avengers films nowadays everything is done with a green screen like 90% of those films are shot with green screen so you've got like full scenes where 
you have actual actors dressed in some outfits just standing in front of green screens and posing and talking and doing the dialogues and having the battles and having these intense moments where they're like, go this way, we're never gonna make it. And then they'll just cut, cut, and then do it all again 100 times. And you've got the guy in the back or the girl in the back who hasn't said anything and they're just kind of posing. They're just standing there for the whole scene. So that gets cut and it, using these incredible CGI technology advances, we've got these incredible pieces that are so, they're the most expensive artifacts we've ever made as humans, these uh, Avengers films. And when you watch it, it's impossible not to get engrossed and to get sucked into the story. But when you're watching a pro wrestling performance, you're seeing that unfold in front of your eyes and there's only one take. It's a live performance. So there is no opportunity to do a retake, like cut, start again. That's not how it works. These guys and girls have to get it right first time on the night in front of a huge crowd, in front of a live TV audience. So if they mess up a spot or do a botch as it's called, it can A, really hurt them or the other person that they're working with, and B, really hurt the impact of the story. And there's so many examples of that happening in the wrestling world where things don't go quite right. There's even been deaths on shows. There's been all kinds of, you know, good and bad moments in that form of art and entertainment. And you just need to watch a couple of documentaries like the one about the Hart family, the one about Jake the Snake, the one about Ric Flair, the one about, you know, these these crazy uh, pioneers of wrestling. The Undertaker right now, he's coming out and he's talking about his whole career. Kane, these kind of big characters who are now able to openly talk about their experience in the wrestling world and so on. And just to, just spending a little bit of time listening to what they say and how they talk about it and how they discuss the um, you know, their their life in wrestling and so on. If you can't watch that and, and at least appreciate the art form and just to understand that this is maybe not for you and maybe you, you just prefer to watch The Avengers, that's absolutely fine. Or you prefer to watch improv or you prefer to do that. But to say that, like, it's not a form of entertainment that should be watched or, or to look down on it completely, that doesn't quite add up in my head. So that's just something as a fan of the craft and the entertainment value of those shows and those um, entertainers and how hard that is to do and how difficult it is to grow a character and to all, you know, build your fan base and keep on, you know, go up in the locker room standings, go up in the business standings, the whole thing, traveling the world, 300 dates per year. I really appreciate that as a, as a artistic endeavor and an entertainment endeavor. And it's something that um, a lot of people don't. And that's fine, but that's just my two cents on it. I find it as uh, as appealing, if not more appealing, than watching a very, very good fiction or a very, very good stage performance or a very, very good actual fight. I can get as much of a buzz from seeing someone who's spent a year building and building and building and building and winning the championship at the big event after 12 months of build-up as I can an actual fighter who is really genuinely training to dis disarm and dismember the other opponent. So that's my two cents on it, like I said. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's just, you know, it's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> it's, uh, 
it's definitely something that I, I appreciate. And it's been so good to be able to share this with a friend of mine who is not a big fan, but he was when he was younger until he was a teenager. And now he's kind of like rekindled it a little bit and we were talking about it and we've started this show and we had a really good time watching it. It's been really, really fun and uh, enjoyable to share that with someone. And there'll be more about that, I'm sure, in the episodes to come. You might have heard my cats a couple of times here in the in the last few moments. They are so adorable, so cute. Um, one of them has a little infection on his foot, so the vet came over and gave us a cream that he needs to be putting on there. And he now has to have this plastic cone, you know, the, the plastic cone that means that he can't bite at it or lick it. And it's good in the sense that she put it on the vet and obviously she's a professional she's put it on in a, in the in the best way possible it doesn't look like it's unbelievably uncomfortable or, or tight but it must be so weird for this poor creature to walk around with this um you know this situation around his peripheral vision and not to be able to properly lick your, your yourself clean you know the cats as they as they like to um He's got a little bit of a painkiller, so he's kind of walking around, um, you know, very little, and he's just relaxing and um, getting better, basically. And it's only for a few more days, so I'm really looking forward to being able to take that off and giving him back his norm normality a little bit. Um, but they're good. They're good. They're lovely. Um, the other one, she has become very, very cuddly and very, very... Uh, warm, especially in the last few weeks that's developed. So it's just really nice to have these two kittens as pets. And I'm really appreciative of their vibe. One of them's lying on my lap right now. And the other one's just on my side, looking very, very relaxed. So that's really cool. And uh, I wanted to talk about one more thing before we go into the second part of the show. Yes, it was just that the Clubhouse shows are still happening. I'm doing roughly one show per day at the moment. Sometimes it's a little bit more, sometimes it's a little bit less. I've even had a friend come over and we were hanging out and I did a show whilst this friend was there. She really is interested to come and watch me doing comedy and I've never actually um, had the chance to invite her before the shows weren't able to happen in, the, in this strange time. So. This was the first time that she ever saw me actually doing any kind of performance or anything. And it was really, really cool. You know, we're just in my living room and I'm doing this uh, clubhouse show for an hour. And um, there's definitely an element of this uh, voice only aspect. I spoke about this in a different episode, a previous one, um, where this has really, really allowed me. And this podcast is also a part of this, too to help find my voice, to help me feel more confident, to help me say my opinions. I've got a few comedy friends in the room, we're doing a room together, we're hanging, we're talking, there's some audience members coming in and out. You see a profile picture, you see who's speaking, but it's a different dynamic to when you're on stage. And all I'm hoping, and this is definitely what I'm going to integrate, is the confidence and this muscle that's being flexed of hosting and performing on a regular basis every day, is going to translate into a more confident, more grounded me on stage. It's my goal to basically, from the minute I get on stage till the minute I come off, to be the myself when I'm with my friends, hanging out, having a good time, 
everyone's laughing, we're all comfortable, we're all enjoying ourselves. And uh, I don't know if I've quite got there on a consistent enough basis since I started doing comedy. Of course, I'm a relative beginner and it comes with time, but it's something that I've really observed in the clubhouse shows since I've been doing them. I don't know how many I've done now, probably like 40 or 50 or something in this in this uh, past month or so. And it's been really, really useful to just get more into the sort of improvisation side of things, thinking on the, in, on the spot, being confident with my first idea, not worrying too much about it not landing or what the feedback might be and just kind of going with it. And if things don't land, they don't land. And just being confident, saying things with confidence, being myself, and I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to that point, and I'm very grateful for this uh, Clubhouse opportunity to, to do it, to get there, um, especially now that the events are not able to happen in, in my city, in person. So I hope that will change soon, and as soon as it will, I'll be out there like a bull on crack, but right now it's, uh, it's a tough situation for performers, of all types and we have to use the avenues that we have so that feels great and we're just going to have a little bit of music now and then we're going to talk a little bit about the Wim Hof method that breathing exercise the impact it's had on my life and it's just the first episode I'm sure of many will be be discussing this topic so stay tuned and see you very soon So, welcome back. This is part two of this week's episode. I really hope you guys are enjoying the new structured episodes with the part one and part two, and I think it's quite important to put the description in the notes that the fact is you can skip the first part. You know, the first part is always a little bit more personal. It's a bit about my life. It's something that's on my chest about, you know, something a bit more lighthearted. It could be something deep. It could be something meaningful. Um, But it's usually related to stuff that's going on in my life. And then this second part is uh, definitely some personal experiences, but there's always a more grounded, uh, targeted aspect of the second part that's really important to me in terms of an alternative theory that's not being spoken about or not being spoken about enough and uh, something that I just want to shed some light on that I want to investigate. We've had topics like lucid dreaming, we've had topics like uh, unexplained and out of place ancient artifacts including the Antikythera device, including some of the megalithic structures around the world. I've had long discussions talking with a couple of friends about a lot of these esoteric and alternative topics that I found fascinating and that have had a big impact in my life since I've been researching them and a lot of them um, since I've been integrating them in, in my existence and in my consciousness. So... 
Have a look at the other episodes if this is the first time you're tuning in and maybe there's something for you. And for this episode, I just want to talk a little bit, and this is going to be the first introductory episode, because I'm sure there'll be more to come, about the Wim Hof method and breathing exercises and meditative exercises in general. So my experience with the Wim Hof method is as follows. Essentially a long time ago, I think this was maybe 2004, 2005, something like that, which is now coming close to 16, 17 years ago. I remember seeing there was a thing on UK TV on the BBC and it was just a short, almost like not not quite an advert, but just a one or two minute long video that would play a couple of times a day. And it was uh, uh, like a little promo or a little snippet of Wim Hof at the time. He was swimming in an ice, an, a completely iced out river. He was doing this uh, breathing deeply in and out like that. And at some point I also saw there was a clip of him wearing a wet jumper and then the jumper is being steamed dry just using his body. So I remember seeing those two couple of examples and just kind of putting it to the back of my head. Oh, and he also did an appearance on Idiot Abroad with Carl Pilkington, which was one of my favorite shows to watch. I love the Ricky Gervais, Stephen Merchant, Carl Pilkington um, constellation. This is one of the best forms of entertainment ever. I still listen to a lot of the original XFM shows and the Ricky Gervais show and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm just a huge fan of those three and what they've achieved and what they've uh, put out into the world in terms of entertainment and real honest uh, interactions that are absolutely hilarious and, you know, actually arguably a huge inspiration as to why I'm doing any of the stuff I'm doing too. So a uh, big shout out to them. If you've never listened to um, the Ricky Gervais show or the XFM podcast that they had or watched any of the Idiot Abroad series or Derek or Extras or The Office or any of that kind of stuff, you have to try it. Please give it a try. Just go and enjoy that amazing content. There's so many hours of it on the internet. Um, and... I remember seeing this uh, Wim Hof chap a couple of times. I didn't know him by name. I just remember there was this kind of like unusual dude who was doing these crazy feats of, of uh, human ability, uh, going under ice and doing all these things where, that, that no one could believe. And I remember just thinking, wow, that's, that's cool. There's this guy who's doing all those things. But I never once related it back to me, related it back to humanity in general. I didn't quite put two and two together how a big an impact this character would have on my life. It was just a, a, a little whisper that I heard a few times and didn't quite, you know, know exactly what was going on, just sort of, uh, just sort of accepted it and moved on. Then, obviously, one of the big reasons why a lot of people know Wim Hof is because he was on JRE, which is the biggest podcast in the world by an absolute country mile. And that's where I first saw him properly. So I watched a long-form conversation of this man talking about who he is, what he's done, the context of his, uh, wh why he's created this method, how he created this method, where he comes from, what he had to endure in his life, how this organically sort of happened for him, this finding this uh, cold therapy and breathing, and how 
he's managed to heal his traumas and he's managed to achieve these human uh, feats of strength and endurance just through these simple things that are able to be done by anyone. So the first time I remember watching that podcast, that was the first time I'd ever seen him really explain this and really make a big deal out of the fact that anyone can do these things. That was something he kept saying. He said, I'm not special. I'm not an alien. I'm not someone who can do all these things because I've trained, um, you know, to do something that no one else can do. I've just spent the time to learn how to do it. And now I am consider myself a missionary and I'm telling the world that you can do all of these things as well, just with some focused training and some uh, breath work, cold therapy and certain exercises. So that plucked my curiosity for sure sparked my curiosity. I had no idea that these things were not just some kind of fringe guy's uh, abilities. You know, you've always had people who said that they could bend things with their mind or they had, you know, like magnetic properties or that they could, you know, levitate and do all these things. And it was always, it seemed either a trick or something that you just would never hear about. Like these, the, uh, these Tibetan monks that apparently can do these incredible things with their mind and so on. But th that's also inaccessible. It's just, you know, it's lovely to hear. I love that there's people out there who claim that they can do these things. I'm not one of the people who just says, oh, it's all, it's all BS, you know, there's, there's nothing there. I'm very, very open to the idea that there's people out there who can do these crazy things. That's not something that, you know, would completely surprise me, far from it. But what Wim Hof is saying is just through some targeted breathing, some cold exposure, and a few little exercise, you can literally change your life. You can change the way that your biology works. You can train, change the way that your body chemistry works. You can change the way that your uh, emotions work. You can control your emotions. You can bring everything under control. You can heal your trauma. You know, these bold, bold claims. And I found that fascinating and also I was of course skeptical like anyone should be with anything like this. You know, you've got to come from it from an open perspective with a fair degree of skepticism. That's the way I would like to think I approach everything in my life. But I tried the exercise that he did on that show and I also uh, saw a, a better version of his uh, Wim Hof method, the simple breathing method on Lewis Howe's show, where he laid Lewis down and did this kind of uh, guided breathing with him. And that's the one that I tried. So I literally just, it's funny, I found Wim Hof at just this time in my life when I was in this transition period. I just left my work, the career path. I'd basically given up on uh, the concrete jungle that I was living in. I was pretty heart set on moving away or at least exploring opportunities in uh, the city that I now live in, that I moved to eventually. I was spending way too much money on rent, way too much time at work, way too little time following passions, too little time doing the things that I knew I needed to be doing and just kind of going through the motions in a, in a bit of a trance, just sort of going after goals that I thought I wanted but didn't really the whole thing was a bit of a, a mess, and I've kind of spoken about this in episode one of this podcast series, um, so go back and listen to that if you want a little bit more insight into my personal journey of uh, awakening and kind of, you know, opening my eyes and understanding what I want from life. 
And it's funny, I found a lot of these very, very important, influencing characters in my life at that time. It's almost like I found them when I needed them. They, they presented themselves to me in that way. And uh, one of them is most definitely Wim Hof. So I tried this method. I remember I was in my room. I was, I closed the door, I shut the lights off. I just put the uh, video on, on the TV. And I lay down and I did the exercise. I did the 30 breaths, deep breath in and a little bit less of a breath out, just a natural release out 30 times. A deep hold and then an exhale. And then silence and just waiting with no breath in the lungs until you naturally need to breathe again. So you go way past the conditioned reflexes where you might think that you need to take a breath of air. And this was the thing that blew my mind that first time I did it was, I remember being in the sea or being in a pool and trying to hold my breath when I was a kid. I remember doing that a lot. I remember doing, you know, you, you would do a couple of clearing breaths, you take five to 10 deep breaths in and out, and then you just take a deep breath in and hold it and go underwater. And I remember like the best I could ever get to was about 30 seconds, 40 seconds, something like that. And then I would get up like, <gasps> you know, like panicking, needing air. And I'm sure that with more time and more focus on that, I could have probably got to a minute or two or so on with a lot of focus on it. But what I found incredible was with absolutely no previous training, really, for years, you know, I, I was relatively fit, you know, not, I definitely wasn't in my best shape, but I definitely wasn't in my worst. I was, I was okay. I was okay physically. Um, I did that exercise the first time after those 30 deep breaths in and out release. And then I was stunned. I remember I was um, in a, in a sitting position, if I'm not mistaken, either a lying or a sitting position. I think I might have done it lying the first time. Then I just had this zen, this absolute clear feeling. I exhaled and then I was just still in the moment. No breath going in, no breath going out and completely empty of air. And yet the natural reflex to breathe is not there because what you've done is oxygenate your entire body. All of your blood cells are full of oxygen from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes. So you're sitting there with no air in your lungs and you're completely still. And it seems like completely free. I didn't even have any thoughts at this time. I was someone at that point who had spent a lot of time meditating. You know, like this classic, like I was trying to meditate. I was getting through the, the barriers of, you know, getting used to finding those still moments where the thoughts are not coming into your head or at least observing them and allowing them to go out and then returning to the breath, the, the classic mindful meditation routines. But if I said I was good at them, I'd be lying. It was a struggle. It was not something that I was very, very conducive to. I have a very active brain. And whilst I did get some successes, and there were times where I had that moment of mindfulness and real meditative calm. It didn't happen very often. And I'm sure that it would, again, with more training and more focus. But 
this one breathing exercise, that one time, put me in that state of Zen in a much deeper way than I had ever, ever felt in any kind of meditation that I've ever done. So that was mind-blowing. I did it alongside the video, and I held my breath for easily a minute and a half, maybe even a minute 40 seconds. And when I say I held my breath, it's not that I took a deep breath and then held that for a minute and 40. I stayed in this state of having no air in my lungs for one minute 40 with no stress whatsoever. I was just there, completely chilled, completely zen. Body full of oxygen, despite not having a single gram of air in my lungs. Then I had the natural urge to breathe. So you take a deep breath in, you hold it, wait for 15 seconds, let that air that you've just allowed in penetrate all those parts of your body, and you exhale. And that's one exercise round. So in this particular one with Wim Hof, I think I did three rounds along with the video, or four, and I was just stunned, blown away. Every single time I did it, it added 15 seconds to the amount of time that I could hold my uh, empty lungs and no air state that kind of calm, meditative, relaxed state that I had never really, really achieved through um, for, for a long period through normal meditative methods like mindfulness and breathing and so on. And I was so amazed by it that I, t I told everyone, I told my flatmate, I told my family, I told my friends, I was like, you guys need to try this, this is amazing. So that blew me away so much, just how much it hit me that first time that I was, of course, so excited to try the cold therapy stuff. So I did the breathing a few more times, and then I put the shower onto cold, and I just stepped in little by little, feet first, legs next, backside, back, arms, chest, head dipped in. I'm sitting there full cold. This is in the UK, North Europe. It's very cold water when, that comes out when you turn the tap to full cold. And yes, it was incredibly cold. And in the first few seconds, you have that reflex to panic. You're like, <gasps> but since I'd been doing that oxygenating exercise before, I was able to really get past that panic and just last in there for 20, 30 seconds and just allow the cold to hit me and it was again this level of zen and calmness that I had not really had for a very, very long time or had ever had, really, if I'm being totally honest. So that's something that I incorporated into my life from that point on. This was in about 2016, 17. This is like four years ago now. I was so blown away that it became a part of my routine now fast forward till now, four years later, and it has remained part of my routine. There has been ebbs and flows. There have been times where I've been very good with it. I've been doing it every day, at least a couple of breath rounds and one uh, cold shower. But there have also been times where I didn't do it either for, for some time. And since I had this uh, meeting with this lovely dude, who's now my friend's flatmate, I've kept up with doing the exercise a couple of times a day, except for one day where, where I haven't done it. Um, but it's something that I've completely 
integrated into my life on the grand scale. It's this breathing in and out, fulfilling your body full of oxygen. And I've now understood from meeting this chap that you can do the a version of this breathing exercise without the breaks where you just breathe in and out for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, one hour longer. And you can really break through those times where you're kind of curled and your your, your body seems very um, intensely tight and so on. And you can push through those moments and then re- recover the Zen and have real breakthroughs with your trauma, with your pain, um, physical pain, emotional pain. So that's definitely something that I'm very, very open to. And it's really cool that I know someone who, who does that. And uh, it's something that I even took... This is kind of like how extremely I took to the the breathing method when I first heard about it. I had, uh, not long after that, I think it was about six months later, I had a funeral to attend, one of the first ones I've ever attended for a friend of my age, a guy who I went to school with, rest in peace. And uh, I had to go up to Inverness, which is in the north of Scotland. It doesn't get much colder than that in, in the British Isles. And... To be honest, uh, in Europe, you know, there are, there are times where that place is as cold as uh, Norway and these sort of, you know, ridiculously cold places. So you're right up there, right by the North Sea, and it's really damn cold. And this was the height of winter. And still there, I had cold showers. I'm lying to you if I say that I pulled the cold all the way cold, but I still then had the cold shower and and... and got that benefit, especially at that time when I was going through the emotional pain of losing my friend and, you know, coming to terms with that and seeing all these people from my childhood and so on, you know, it was a very intense time. And uh, I've also, even in the times where I, I haven't been doing cold showers religiously, repeatedly, I would still always at least finish with a cold shower. Maybe I would have a hot shower to start with and then turn it to cold and give myself a good one minute very, very cold uh, shower at the end. So, like I said, it's something that's come in ebbs and flows, but it's something that I know that when when I do it more often, I feel better, I feel more grounded, I feel more present, I can feel the, the blood pumping around my body, I can feel the mood changing, the emotional state of my my being changing. I can feel even physical improvements. You feel stronger after you do three or four rounds of uh, Wim Hof method. You can, I can do more push-ups, more sit-ups, more, um, you know, weights and so on. It's a really quite an incredible thing. So if you haven't ever tried it and this is the first time you're hearing about it and you're thinking, what is this guy talking about, then by all means, please go and find Wim Hof videos on YouTube, find that Lewis Howes video, find that JRE interview, he's done loads of other um, interviews, great ones with Russell Brand, he's he's just someone who's actually really, really online all over the place, and now he also has his, you know, his method and his course, and you can go and do retreats with him and so on, that's also something I would definitely like to do as a a Wim Hof retreat, either with him or with one of his um, ratified instructors here somewhere in Europe. Um, I know he has a center in Poland, but it would be cool to do anything like that. And uh, essentially, it's just something that I can't see not having in my life to some extent. This breathing exercise, cold exposure, and uh, specific kinds of exercises for this sort of um, meditative work. I'm not the same if I'm not doing it regularly. 
I have to do it. And it's, it's just part of my day, part of my week. And <laughs> funny story, I, I got a new flat once. Um, this was the first flat after I, I, I left that place where, you know, I, I first discovered the Wim Hof Method. And I was chatting to my landlord who was kind of showing me around the room. It had a, an ensuite bathroom. And he said, oh, but when you shower here, please don't use too hot water or use the shower in the other part of the flat if you want to have a nice hot shower because there's no extraction in this room. So you'd have to open the window and I don't want there to be any moss or anything like that. And I was like, let me stop you right there, my friend. I take cold showers. He was like, what? We're in Germany. What are you talking about? And I was like, yeah, it's actually just an encouraging thing for me to know that I shouldn't really put the heat, uh, put the hot water on in the shower. That's a good thing because it's going gonna, it's gonna to encourage me to only have cold showers or at least to primarily have cold showers. And he was like, who the hell is this weird dude that's moved into my flat that's just told me he doesn't take a hot shower? or doesn't want the hot water, doesn't mind that problem. He, I must have been a godsend for him because he didn't need to sort out any kind of extraction fan or anything. So, um, yeah, if you've never tried it, there's going to be some links in the description below that you can find more information about Wim Hof, this incredible character, what he's achieved. And next week, I'm going to go into... Uh, and in some of the episodes to come, the actual medical implications of what he has achieved in terms of how science has essentially moved. He's moved the needle on science in so many different fields with regard to physiology, uh, emotional healing, what the human body can achieve, what the human body can do, and how you can practically integrate all of these teachings into your life and just essentially improve so many aspects of your life and it's ratified by science this is not some woo-woo stuff even the most hard-nosed material reductionist science-driven person can now investigate and understand the benefits of the Wim Hof method from those perspectives that's not necessarily the place where I come from I believe in more um, uh, spiritual and esoteric aspects of this method but you don't need to that's the beauty of it it doesn't matter what you believe if you just do the exercises you just have an open mind and you read and you understand just how deeply he's been studied and how deeply they've done um you know uh tests to prove that these things work and it's not just uh woo woo they've had to literally alter textbooks because of this and that's what this show is all about it's just like with the ancient civilization argument, the lost ancient high technology, the Antikythera device, the um, incredible stone masonry and sculptures around the world and incredible small out-of-place artifacts, symbology, all of these things that are part of our, uh, so to say, fringe science and alternative theories, many of which are slowly and slowly ebbing away at the mainstream and becoming mainstream and turning paradigms on their head. And, and that's what this is all about, because we can all speculate. We can all say, I believe that this was that. I believe that that happened. I believe that that caused that. But until you can actually really prove it with cold, hard facts that are undeniable, then things don't change. And even then, it, it takes 10 years of trying to force it down the throats of 
peer review and the mainstream scientists who are very, very, very hard to convince, it still takes 10 years, it still takes 20 years, it still takes 30 years. It can take people's entire careers and people's entire lives to change these paradigms. So when someone does it, you have to celebrate it. Wim Hof, you are a legend. It would be really, really awesome um, to have a conversation one day and just to tell anyone out there, if you've not tried it, please try it, the Wim Hof Method. And holotropic breathing, cold therapy, all of these things, find your own way to incorporate those in your life if you can. So that's it for this week. It's been a really enjoyable episode to talk about these topics. Um, Keep tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the content. I'm really enjoying making it and it means a hell of a lot to me that there's people out there listening. No matter who you are, no matter when you found this, no matter what part of the world you're in, what walk of life you come from, I really, really appreciate that you could be listening to anything in the world and for whatever reason you're listening to this and that means a lot to me. So thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed the content. So catch you soon. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Question This Life. You can listen to the podcast at questionthislife.com as well as all of the main podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, subscribe and get involved.